Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome, everybody, In the Booth. On a beautiful day, 62 degrees outside. About 58 inside, as usual, here in the uh, Galaxy Communications studio. Good to have you along with us for our daily one-hour visit, talking sports with you. Orange basketball in the Dome tomorrow night against Carolina. Women had a win at Pittsburgh with uh, relative ease last night. They've got Carolina on the road coming up later this week. Then uh, the Orange men are at Duke Saturday night for the 6:15 start. Syracuse lacrosse in the Dome on Saturday against Army with a 2 o'clock start. So lots happening. As uh, Seth pointed out, the GMAC show tonight. We'll have the Jim Beheim show for you over at the uh, Marriott Syracuse downtown at Shaughnessy's on uh, Thursday. So uh, lots of good stuff to get into. The most noteworthy thing from around the ACC, of course, is this news today that uh, Louisville has uh, lost its appeal. Uh, The rulings made by the NCAA have been upheld, so they will... Pay back money's earned. They'll take down banners and uh, not look very good here for a while. We'll to sort through some of the uh, various layers on the the punishment there. Taking down banners is not really a punishment; it's an embarrassment. Some places have chosen to uh, deal with that a little bit more creatively than others, and for Louisville, uh, remains to be seen. I guess just how they'll react. Sounds like they went into this deal today kicking and screaming not agreeing with the decision and etc their whole defense has been of course that uh, Rick Pitino didn't know about what was happening Um, still they were doing a lot of not very good stuff and are going to pay the price here Louisville in the long run in a lot of ways is still going to be good they're still going to have a lot of things to recruit with they're still going to have maybe the best building in college basketball they're still going to have an historic program They'll have probably a new head coach going forward. They'll still have a ton of resources on their campus. So uh, Louisville, you can imagine, might hit a bit of a uh, recruiting dip here and then uh, be right back at it. Syracuse, in a way, may have had that too, You know, a little bit of a recruiting dip, scholarship restriction, et cetera. And uh, this year's team, which we'll talk about a great deal, of course, uh, through this week and through the rest of the season, has been able to uh, weather its way through that, a postseason ban, just as Louisville did last year. Uh, Syracuse opted out of the postseason. Uh, shouldn't say it that way. Banned. It's uh, had a self-imposed ban uh, from the postseason one year and has uh, lived to tell the story and figures to have now a huge recruiting class coming in next season, et cetera, and, uh, and better days ahead. But still an exciting finish to this season ahead, including – uh, the opportunities, as we mentioned yesterday, with three top 15 teams remaining on the uh, Syracuse schedule, North Carolina in the Dome, the uh, number 10 team in the country here on Wednesday night, then fifth-ranked Duke, which will be the toughest of the remaining games, most likely because it's on the road. 15th-ranked Clemson is in the Dome on March 3rd with the uh, road game to Boston College in between. That is a week from tomorrow night. 
So that sets the stage on that. We wanted to share with you some basketball talk before getting too far into the program. So we'll have some comments from Roy Williams here. Then we'll be joined by Joe Morris. Uh, We weren't able to share all the details last week leading up to it, but uh, Friday night in uh, Tampa, the announcement was made that uh, Joe Morris will have his uniform number 47 honored at the Carrier Dome in September. So that'll be a, a fun event early in the next football season and much deserved for Syracuse's all-time leading rusher. So we'll talk with little Joe Morris on the program coming up in just a bit. But first, uh, Roy Williams, the head coach of North Carolina, whose uh, team has uh, been through some of its own difficulties this season but uh, is playing its best basketball of the year. Not only five straight wins, but uh, demolished Louisville on the road on Saturday night, crushed them on the boards. That was a game where Coach Williams was as has been the case for him throughout a good part of the season, pleased with his team's offense, not so much the defense. He's talking about what he's trying to accomplish for the remaining three games. His first answer that we're not going to play to this was the obvious. What what are you looking for in your next three games? Wins. But beyond that, these elements of his team. We've got to continue to try to push to get better on the defensive end of the floor, try to see if we can do a better job guarding a three-pointer and also guard people inside, but uh, uh, stay healthy, get a little more positive about what we're doing offensively, and continue to rebound the ball very well. And that's uh, one of the things that uh, North Carolina has historically been very good. One of the things about this matchup that we find interesting is what Coach Williams would tell you is are his team's weaknesses. They don't guard the three-point line very well, and they haven't gotten back defensively, wants to stop the other team's transition those are not strengths for Syracuse. This is not a Syracuse team that shoots a lot of threes, or at least not one that makes a lot of threes. And it's not a Syracuse team that runs a great deal. So on paper, that matchup aspect does not look great for Syracuse. But the Orange are at home against a Carolina team that is looking to improve. And we'll get to Williams' approach to the zone, where he says a lot of what opposing coaches say about the Syracuse zone. But the way he's spending his time in practice with drills he's trying to address what uh, he has identified as the team's weaknesses at this stretch in the season well we do boxing out to break almost every single day and sometimes more than once i think that boxing out is a huge part of what we have to do to finish the defense and and i want us to get used to uh, pushing the pace i'm a little mad at myself early in the preseason uh, we played with a 15 second shot clock and i told him i didn't want bad shots i wanted good shots trying to get them to work exceptionally hard to get good shots out of it and uh, we've gotten away from that so we may try to go back to that a little bit this week but uh, uh, we like to go up and down the court and we like to understand that we've got to run back on defense and uh, not let the other teams push the pace against us so it gets rebounding it gets boxing out it gets us going on the offensive end it also works on our defensive transition and and sometimes I use it for a longer period of times just to uh, make sure we're getting good conditioning as well. Would love to watch a team practice with a 15-second shot clock, and you can see the method to the madness on that for Roy Williams. Uh, when you know you got to get a good shot up in 15 seconds, you're not just moving it around uh, for the sake of passing. You are looking uh, for a quality shot and something that uh, is a good way to train his team. As for playing Syracuse, it's uh, what we hear a lot of coaches say, hard to – make your scout team and walk-ons play like O'Shea Brissett and Barama Sidibe and company? 
Well, we put some of the blue squad in those spots, but we can't simulate their length that Syracuse has. We can't simulate how effective they run it, and you can't simulate how quickly they close out on the shooters. But we do put them in the in the in the spots and try to simulate what it is. But uh, uh, every team I've ever had has been shocked the first several minutes uh, that they ever play against because they think they're open. Oh my gosh, the guy's right on the face, and then think they're playing zone and all of a sudden they trap you in the corner so it's just so many different things that you have to be prepared for and it's hard to simulate that in practice if you don't have that athleticism that uh, they do on your squad that's trying to work on it well that's the key part the squad that's trying to work on it nobody has that on their third team their scout team their walk-ons certainly North Carolina's got it on their regular players size and athleticism but uh, those are the ones you want playing against the uh, Syracuse zone and figuring it out. Hear more and more coaches this year making the point that when you see the zone for the first time, that there's an adjustment period, whether it's your first whole game or your first few minutes or your first time in the dome, uh, that opens up an opportunity for Syracuse to jump on teams like this. When the Orange have beaten uh, North Carolina in the dome, they have done that. Remember that Carolina's played in the dome, this one and others, quite a bit. I would say Carolina and Kentucky are the two teams most likely to wind up in these types of facilities, whether it's conference tournaments, whether it's NCAA tournaments, uh, and in some cases preseason events, whether it's, uh, you know, used to be in Indianapolis and, and places like that that have domes similar to the Carrier Dome. Of course, while you might say it's like the ACC and Carolina draws crowds, nowhere quite uh, like coming here to Syracuse, and we'll tell you more about how they approach it in a moment. It's like the rest of the league. I mean, most places we go, we play in front of a big crowd. and It's a little bigger building. It's uh, uh, a little more wide open with the view that you have behind the backboards and those kind of things. But, you know, we play in a lot of big arenas as well. And uh, so it's it's a gym. It's built for basketball. The crowd is really into it. Uh, They've beaten us to death up there a couple times, and we've gotten lucky in beating them, I think, once – but uh, it's, it's, it's not the gym. It's the guys in the other uniform that usually beat you. Well, that's uh, classic Roy Williams. Not exactly correct on all accounts there. It wasn't built for basketball. And uh, it, it does have some great positives, of course, for basketball with the size of the crowd and the noise that can be made and the home court advantage there might be. Now, Syracuse will practice at the Dome today in advance of the game tomorrow. North Carolina will not. North Carolina is about the latest arriving team. In fact, on a regular basis, they are. Syracuse has had a couple of issues this year with travel. It's gotten into the road city later. Typically, Coach Beheim likes to arrive around uh, 6.30, 7 o'clock, and then uh, the staff goes to a dinner and the players go to a dinner in the hotel. With North Carolina, they typically have practice. They eat in Chapel Hill, and then they get on a plane and fly to the road city very frequently, leaving in the 8 o'clock range and getting in in the 10 o'clock range, and that's what they plan Again tonight, and certainly plenty of recovery time tomorrow prior to a 7 o'clock game. All right, breaking the action here. Hope to uh, visit with Joe Morris as we continue on the show. Get into the uh, Louisville thing a little bit and uh, hear from Coach Beheim as well. We're here on a Tuesday in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Tomorrow, Syracuse welcomes North Carolina to the Carrier Dome. Coverage starts at 5.30, tip-off at 7 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. 
Welcome back in the booth. Brought to you, as always, by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Good to have you along with us on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in central New York. And we're also pleased to be joined by our friend Joe Morris, recently uh, getting the news that he'll be honored at the Carrier Dome in the fall. Joe, good to have you on, and uh, congratulations, my man. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much, Matt. It's uh, exciting for you to – we took part in an event Friday night in Tampa, and I think the coolest part is – uh, for you to get news like that, you know, it's one thing to come in a press release. It's another for it to be with your teammates and uh, friends and family. Uh, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe you could put it in your own words, what it meant to you. Well, Matt, uh, let me just say the university, uh, Bob Arcobain, John Nally, and all my friends that were there, even my brother, kept this away from me. I hear this news for the first time when they say it to me. When John Wampak said it, I, 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 my, my mouth dropped, and I said, oh, my God. And I am just so thankful and so grateful. Uh, that, you know, Matt, think about this. Half of my teammates, they were there. They traveled on their own dime to come see me and get this. You know I'm going to be honored on the 22nd. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Uh, I hadn't seen some of these people in 30 years. It's wonderful to see them. And what's funny about it is one of them said to me, say, you know, the funny thing about you is, Joe, is this right here. As soon as you look at me, you said my name. I remember our conversations we've had, and I'm just so happy for you. That means the most to me, Matt, because I try to pride myself of knowing my teammates and trying to be around people that I cared about. And everything that I've ever done, you don't get any award like this by yourself. You have your teammates helping you, and that's why it's so important for me and I was, that's why I was just so shocked that nobody gave me a heads up before. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you that. How did they get you? First of all, congrats, or thank you very much to uh, John and Laura Lally, who were a tremendous hosts to us on uh, Friday night in Tampa. But uh, I think the rest of us knew what that was all about going there. How did they keep it from you? Well, here's the thing. Um, me and John had talked about some stuff, and he said, Joe, we need to connect with some of the younger players. So one of the things I, I started doing was talking to some of the younger players that, that were hated to graduate from Syracuse, started talking to some of them. And, you know, it, 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 was, it got strange to me when I seen uh, Bill Hurley because I hadn't seen him in a while. Uh, he had called me one time, and, you know, we hadn't hooked up just yet. And just seeing him, and I'm thinking, why would I see Bill Hurley in something like this? And, and I, I, you know, Dennis Hartman, Ike Bogosian, I, I started seeing people from my past, and I said, man, Really great to be here. It's great to be around these guys, man. We gotta we gotta work on you know some alumni stuff. So I'm thinking that's what we're working at. And you know Bob Bob Arcopay never mentioned anything to me about this, and so I'm completely surprised when this all went about. So Matt, I'm I'm, le- I'm left standing there, and I, and I said to my brother, I said you couldn't I maybe mention this to your brother. He goes, Yeah, Joe, I think he deserved this, but you know what? I think he needed to be as shocked as you are. Well, your uh, emotions were clear and heartfelt. Uh, I think everybody in the room uh, certainly views you worthy of this, Joe, and uh, certainly happy to take part in in something that will be awfully fun. We're visiting with Joe Morris. His number 47 will be raised to the rafters in the Dome September 22nd, fitting on that day because the uh, coach of the opposing team, Connecticut, will be another guy that's uh, in that mix of uh, the late 70s, early 80s here at Syracuse, Randy Edsel. Yeah, it should be very interesting. I think Randy's going to come in and do a good job with his team. Uh, you know, he, he's been there before, so he understands it. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to that day, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to see a lot of teammates, and I'm going to really enjoy being back in Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse has always been very good to me. 
you know, think about my career, man, I, I went to Syracuse with no idea where I was going to be or what I was going to be able to be able to do. And to come back with this at this point, it's just, I mean, it's it still meant to me, very hard for me to just look at it and say it that way, because this came out of, came out of left field. I didn't have any idea this was going on. Uh, and you would think my friends would tell me, but I guess they wanted to be, to be surprised, and, and, and truly I am honored. And, you know, I, I told John this, and he said to me, Joe, we know how much you meant to us, but we want to show you how much you meant to, uh, meant to everybody else. And I'm just thankful that they thought enough of me to do it that way. Well, you're the group that uh, broke in the dome. In fact, uh, in the very first game, you had a kickoff return for a touchdown. That was uh, another of your great highlights and strengths. And go back before Syracuse, Joe, what were your options? Who else recruited you? And and at that time, you know, in the mid-70s, uh, Syracuse – Football didn't really distinguish itself on the field. Obviously, it was great in the 50s and 60s. Uh, wh- how did you wind up here? Well, here's the thing. Boston College had come off an 0-11 season, and their coach said to me, Joe, you're my guy. And I looked at him and I went, yeah, I'm not really seeing that. Uh, university guy went up to University of New, uh, New Hampshire. I thought I was going to be playing there. And what was funny is uh, Dave Zuccarelli was recruiting and the Massachusetts area, and he went to Hudson High, and he asked the recruiter, recruiter asked him, says, is there anybody in this area I should take a look at? And he said, yeah, there's a kid over in the area, Massachusetts, you should drive by, look at his film. I said, we play him every year, and we scrimmage these guys, we don't play him, but he's, this kid is really, really good. He's small, but he's very, you know, he's very fast, very strong, very, you know, team-oriented, he'd be great for Washington. Dave Zuccarelli came over, got my tape. Two weeks later, I see Frank Maloney, at my high school, uh, head coach at Syracuse, there to see me. Now, the first thing everybody said to me was, Joe, if you go to Syracuse, nobody's there. But you ought to go to UMass. You ought to go to the University of New Hampshire. You'll be fine there. Everything will work out. You'll play a little football, blah, blah, blah. Go on with your life. Now, Matt, my first thought was, hey, whatever. Okay, so my first plane trip was the trip from Logan Airport to Syracuse, New York. That was my first plane trip in my life. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I thought it was funny and I thought it was interesting and I got to Syracuse uh, and my position coach was Tom going to be Tom Coughlin. He he was going on a recruiting trip and he I I met with him in the morning, talked to him, talked to Frank Maloney and Frank Maloney said, you know what, I think you have ability, I think you have some speed, I think you have some things you can do. He says there's something about you that's different and I don't know what it is, but I think that you could do something very nice there. He said I'm gonna give you a chance to play, Joe. And that's all I need to hear. And, you know, my biggest fear, Matt, was graduating in four years because my dad said, look, we're not, we're not going to take, we're not going to go to school there, not take advantage of your education. Make sure you graduate in four years, Joe. Go, you know, show something for that. Because, you know, we had no idea I was going to play in the NFL. I had no idea I was going to do that. And I never thought that was a possibility. But as it went along playing for, you know, Frank, Frank kept saying to me, Joe, you're going to be able to do this going to play in the NFL one day. And I said, coach, you, you're kidding me, right? He goes, no. He said, Joe, you're going to have to get stronger. You have to get a little bit bigger, but it's going to work out. And Matt, it, it, it definitely came, it came to that you know, fruition. But, you know, playing at Syracuse, and here's the thing, Matt. I had no idea where Jim Brown had played. I had no idea where Floyd Little or Larry Zonka, John Mackey, or Jim Ringo had played until I got a brochure that I was reading on the way back from Syracuse. Then I said, oh, my God. I'm going to a place where the first black Iceman and children, the great Jim Brown, Floyd Little played. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, uh, this is really going to be tough. 
And, and man, I, I had the idea when I got there that, okay, if I can, if I can in four years rush for a thousand yards, that will be great. As long as I graduate on time and I have, you know, a thousand yards in, in, in four years, that will be great. <laughs> um, things didn't work out that way, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you, had, you screwed that up right at the start. You had a thousand your first year. Yeah, and Matt, you know what's funny is like, and 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 someone said, "Tell why are you this way?" I says, "What do you mean? Why am I this way?" He says, "You seem to just keep going after things, keep going after things." I says, "Look, let me explain. I was taught at a very young age if you want things, you have to work for it, and the whole weightlifting and all that stuff that came along with it that I didn't, I never had in high school because a universal machine is what we use, free weights and those things are the things that we use to build your body as a player." And, you know, no shortcuts to just working at it, Matt. And I had talked to a lot of people about it. And my dad kept saying to me, and he said he watched me play and he said, son, I don't know about this professional thing, but I know, you know, just keep playing the way you're playing and we'll see what happens. And it worked out for me. Well, what happened was uh, close to 4,400 yards in uh, in school history and then on to the NFL, 10-plus years in the league, 50 touchdowns, a Super Bowl ring, and a touchdown in the big game in Super Bowl twenty-one with the Giants. Joe Morris is our guest, his uniform number 47, which is an unusual number anymore for a running back, uh, will be uh, put up to the uh, Carrier Dome rafters in September. You, de- you mentioned you weren't recruited on the basis necessarily of the 44s. How did you interact with them? Somewhere along the line you had to have come – across Jim Brown and Floyd Little? Okay. I had the great fortune of meeting Mr. Little right before the last game at, at Archibald. And it was brief. Uh, I just looked at him, and I remember Floyd Little seeing him. And, uh, and I just remember looking at him and thinking, man, that's Floyd Little. And it, 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 it just it threw me. But, you know, but my, my focus was on the game and, the last game in Archibald, I wanted to go out. I wanted to go out as a winner there, trying to do something good, and it, it worked out. We beat a, a, a ranked Navy team that day, uh, and it, it was just one of those things. You think about it, and I remember after the Super Bowl, uh, Jim Brown made a comment about me after the year. He said, "You know what? I watched Joe Morris play for the Giants, uh, and you know this guy maximized his talent, did everything he was supposed to do." And, and the guy said, well, that's a slight. I said, it's not a slight. I said, it comes from Jim Brown, one of the greatest running backs I've ever played. That is praise. And that's how he does things. And that's how he carries himself. And I, I just felt, you know, and, and, and you know what? It feels like I could be in their company and play at the same school they did. It, it, meant, it meant something very special to me. I heard a story on our way leaving the event in Tampa the other night. Is it true that your first carry was for negative one? Unfortunately, <laughs> because you, you finished with what you finished with forty three hundred and ninety nine. Otherwise, you could have had your own forty four. You could have been right there at forty four hundred yards. Yeah, I, I could have. But here's the thing: I look at it as it, just right here. Uh, things happen to you at times. Uh, you have to overcome them. And what's funny is I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to one of, one of my teammates, and he said, "You know, I, I remember one game, Joe. I, I remember just looking at you and thinking." You just don't. You just don't see what you do, do you? I said, no, I run as hard as I can. I don't really care. I'm trying to do the best I can. And I sent a friend of mine a copy of the thing that we showed that night, and he said, Joe, I never knew you could do all these things. I go, yeah. Kind of funny how that worked out, huh? <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and Joe Morris with us. And Joe, is there a guy who's played in the game since that you've looked at and said, uh, 
that's what I used to do? No, you know, you know, Matt, here's the thing. Um, I was paid a compliment recently by Bill, Bill Belichick, and he said, you know, uh, one of his running backs reminded him of me, and, and, I, and, I, and, and uh, Matt, Matt Reese asked me, and I said, look, I don't have a style. I just kind of went out there, ran as hard as I can, fast as I could, and tried to maximize my talent. I said, Deion Lewis is someone who has the ability to do great things and make great moves. I said, when I was running, I was just running as hard as I could. I didn't have any, any style. I just tried to get there as fast as I could. And I remember, I, remember, I remember Coach telling me one time, he said, Joe, it's about what you can handle. And you can handle anything that you're ready for, if you're ready for, if you prepare yourself for it. And that's what I try to do each year, and I try to get better each year that I was at Syracuse. And last thing, Joe, uh, one of the themes of the night there, aside from honoring you and, and having the motif of 47 uh, running through the evening and, and uh, getting set to make that announcement, is the idea that players from your generation can help the program now. Did you guys uh, kind of come to a consensus with your group about how you view the program from afar and, and how you might take part? Well, here's the thing. We want to try to help cope with favors in any way we can. We're going to try to do anything we can. We're going to try to network together as former players, trying to help some of the younger players who just left the game and the people who are at Syracuse who need help doing things. And we talked about that. We said, look, we need to get Syracuse University to be thought of with their alumni association the same way you do at Oklahoma, where you do at Pittsburgh, or you do at Penn State, where people are always looking out for each other, trying to do that. And I think that we need to do that. We need to communicate between things. And like, listen, there are so many guys who I play with who have professional experience doing things that so many young men want to do or planning to do, and there's guidance available to them from an alumni who's played at Syracuse who wants to give back to his program in any way he can. And so that's what the things we're talking about, and that's the things we want to try to do. We want to make sure Syracuse guys, when they're out in the world, they say, look, I can always count on my orange teammates. Well, that's tremendous. I saw a guy who was in the program just after you came to the basketball game in Miami on Saturday, and so uh, Doug Marone sends along his congratulations to you, and, and I know you can count on him down the road in terms of somebody that can help out in the effort, and I know you'll be watching. You're a big basketball fan. You'll be watching this Carolina game tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I wish Jim and the team nothing but success. All right, Joe. No well, congratulations. Quick, no quick threes, though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll pass that along. Uh, appreciate the, the, the time, as always. Uh, well-deserved honor on your part, and we can't wait to see you up here in September. Thank you, man. That's Joe Morris, number 47, number one in your heart for a lot of people. Uh, if you're among that group of fans who bought season tickets when the Dome came on board, and there's so many. There's literally thousands of people in that category. Well, Joe Morris ripped the roof off of the place right from the opening night and is the all-time leading rusher at Syracuse in a game, a season, and a career. And uh, his number 47 will be honored September 22nd when the Orange take on Connecticut in the Dome. We're back with more In the Booth as we continue after this on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. We're talking to ESPN college basketball analyst Seth Greenberg. Well, I, I just think, you know, to me, there's more good teams. Uh, players are spread out further. There's a difference between the one-and-done teams and the experienced teams. I think you, you know, you used to say, uh, you know, Duke's playing so-and-so. They got no shot. Well, they do have a shot. I think the, you know, people are utilizing the three-point shot. They're playing with greater space. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. 
a.m. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. The Chicago Bears releasing linebacker Jarrell Freeman after playing two seasons. Who? <laughs> Thank you, Polly. Go ahead. Guess that gives you an indication whether we should care. <laughs> uh, Freeman was suspended last season for 10 games for his second violation of the NFL's performance enhancing substance policy in 2016. Freeman missed four games for violating the PED policy. Yeah, couldn't. Really don't care. I, I don't know how anybody had yeah. <laughs> Rank and file. How uh, did you NFL find play. that story? <laughs> on, uh... It was the first one on the heap. Uh, how you have a second performance enhancing violation is beyond me, though. Next. First, all right. Fergie has released a statement about her much-talked-about performance of the National Anthem at Sunday's NBA All-Star Game. The Black Eyed Peas singer says... She wanted to try something special but did not strike the intended tone, adding that it was an honor to sing the Star-Spangled Banner and that she loves this country. Yeah, well, no kidding. And I don't think she was out to embarrass anybody or to take it lightly in the way that uh, Roseanne Barr was and what we talked about yesterday. What does Fergie's letterhead look like when she puts out a statement? I don't know. From the desk Uh, of Fergie, maybe? From the desk of, yeah, from the piano keys of or the microphone uh yeah whatever she, i mean she has i think not been a uh a very highly thought of anthem singer in the past right am, am i right to say that she's sung before and has gotten uh more cheers or more uh jeers than cheers yeah i've used i used this joke yesterday and i'm going to do it again well i'm sure this setup makes it worthwhile her anthem singing's been a real black eye on her career <laughs> It was just as funny today as it was yesterday. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, weak, weak there's, sauce. there's really no segue there. Uh, we talked, uh, Matt, about uh, Adam Rippon yesterday. And his name is still Rippon. Is it Rippon? Yeah, that's Well, it doesn't really yesterday. matter. <laughs> uh, one. <laughs> you got corrected yesterday, <laughs> yes, man. I did. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be corrected tomorrow if he's in the news again. Well, we know that uh, one is the well-known Olympic figure skater. The other is a lesser-known developer of video games. The other Adam says that he has been receiving a lot of tweets intended for the more famous Adam, but he says that so far he has not been confused for him in public. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, I would imagine. One being, as Seth pointed out, Adam Rippon, the figure skater, is out of the country, pretty obviously. He's in Korea. He's also on television. He's also very recognizable. He's also somebody who goes out of his way to stand out. Video game guy, I don't think does. What, what are the uh, handles? Is that what you're uh, Googling over there? I'm trying to find that out, but... Uh... Not to be confused with former Syracuse defensive coordinator Chris Rippon. Long-time assistant One coach is a coach bald man who looks like the leprechaun... From the Fighting Irish mascot. Like who got the more close to the name? Who is just at Adam Rippon? Uh, his is Grumpy Grandpa 22. The one that's been mistaken. So somebody Googled Adam Rippon Twitter, saw that it was Gump, Grumpy Grandma 22, uh-huh. and said, yep, this is the, that has to be the guy. 
There's no blue check, right? That's why there are blue checks in America, people. If if you're going to be in this stupid Twitter game, look for the blue check. If you're trying to tweet at somebody famous, they have a blue check. The video game developer has my attention now more than the skater because How many he's, followers does he have? That's another indication. He's doing Street Fighter the 30th Anniversary Collection. That is awesome. Street Fighter? Yeah. That was a game in my uh, my my heyday of video games. I Grumpy Grandpa 22? <laughs> yes. Um, he's 37 to think he really is a grandpa? I don't know. It's 2018. You never know. Good work there, Joe. Anybody that's doing the another uh, humdinger, <laughs> doing the thirtieth anniversary of Street Fighter, I'll get him on Burger Time. See if he can bring that one back. That was my favorite classic video game. Cubert used to give me headaches. I'd look at the Cubert screen; it started moving, and I'd freak out and I'd jump off the little box. Thing. A lot of those things that were you know old are coming back as classics. Like I know you know you would like a full size Galaga game or oh, I'd love it. Yeah, love it. Where we, oh, where'd we go? Defender. Went to IMG uh, office. What are they? Wasn't it Galaga that they had full size? No, they had... Uh, they, or is it Astro? Oh, yeah, they had. They did. They had Galaga and they had... Uh, golden Tea. Golden Tea. Yeah. I would love a Golden Tea in my house, too. We used to have Big Buck Hunter in this studio and someone stole it. Mm, you don't want that. Right out of the studio. A lot of hunting types that work here. Wow. Dewey Cares brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love it for a slice. Do you have a favorite video game, Joe? No, I don't. Never got into video games. Shocking. So one nerdy thing I've never uh, never liked. Two for two on the... Yes, you are? I'm on a roll, actually. Well, I was four one. for four last week. Did you get it in yesterday? Yesterday was the one that got actually got knocked out by the right. trash, but I think we called score the goal on that one. Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. More on Louisville as we come back. Their appeal denied, suspension Upheld. We'll hear from their school president on the other side of this timeout in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This Saturday, it's Syracuse Lacrosse right here on ESPN 97.7. The Orange welcome Army West Point at 2. Orange pregame at 1.30. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Looking forward to seeing if Syracuse Lacrosse can bounce back this weekend as they take on Army in the Dome. Army's also ranked this week and uh, the Orange coming off an historic beatdown at home at the hands of Albany looking to bounce back. Well, the news of the day in college basketball comes from Louisville. The facts of this case are simply terrible causing many to find the detail of the appeal not compelling. It is also important to note that precedent for such a case does not exist and that the NCAA Infractions Committee has wide discretion as it determines penalties. The NCAA's ruling cannot change the accomplishments of or the excitement generated by our men's basketball team. It cannot change the love we have for this great university. I hope you will join me in remembering those players and their accomplishments. That's Gregory Postel, the interim president at uh, Louisville, and he's been uh, through this run of their time in limbo before the NCAA Infractions Committee has been at the helm of that school, which, as everybody knows, parted ways with Rick Pitino and with athletic director Tom Jurich. And so it's a mess at Louisville. They'll vacate the uh, 2013 National Championship and uh, have to move on from here. It's just odd to hear the way 
that people argue against these sanctions. The NCAA has got to kind of start over here in a way in terms of how it meets out its punishment. <laughs> it's just so odd to hear somebody say, well, there's no precedent for this. Yeah, well, there isn't really a ton of precedent for setting up parties with escorts to lure recruits. There's going to be other things, I guess, that there's no precedent for, but at some point they've got to uh, come up with maybe a smoother way to adjudicate some of these because it gets the impression that the NCAA sort of uh, makes it up as it goes along. And uh, I think Louisville is being dragged uh, kicking and screaming. I'm not really sure how strong their case is, but if you listen to what Postel is saying, it's, it's basically like, Look, because there's no precedent, there's no guideline for them to apply directly to our situation, it allowed a wide range of reaction from the NCAA, and we don't agree with that range. You know, the idea of taking a banner down and those types of punishments are, uh, in my mind, not terribly significant. Same thing with Coach Beheim. you know, vacating wins. I used to think vacating wins was uh, the type of punishment that was completely empty it's not in a Syracuse case where the number of wins was noteworthy in terms of it taking Coach Beheim below 1,000 when he had achieved 1,000 and he'd celebrated that. Uh, so here it had a little bit more of a, a sting than it might in other places. But uh, well, more to come certainly in the, the uh, Louisville situation while Rick Pitino remains on the sideline and is suing the university and the uh, bunch of other folks to uh, try to get his name cleared and to get uh, money he is owed. What does sting is though they've got to give money back from the yes. tournaments. Uh, my question to that is, does that get, who gets that money? Does it go to the NCAA? Does it get divvied up between the conference schools? I'd love to know where that money goes. Yeah, that's a good question and I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, certainly that money was for the, originally was for the conference to disperse does it go into the conference coffers for a rainy day? Does it get evenly passed back out? Because what happens is when these teams go to the tournament, you're earning shares for your conference, and then it's um, it's split across the league. Uh, so I could maybe see it being rebalanced uh, throughout the conference, but uh, that's a good question for which uh, I do not know the answer. Um, the other thing we'll with see the what's v- next. Obviously the FBI thing in, in college basketball right now is uh, – is the next biggest thing in terms of Postel using the expression "the dark cloud hanging over the heads of the program." Well, that's what hurt at Syracuse when you know just kind of the cloud was over until there was a ruling. That's what hurt Miami football when the investigations uh, went on for a long time. And uh, right now, I think people are waiting for the other shoe to drop to to use a a bad expression with uh, the FBI thing as far as college basketball is concerned, and and to see. Uh, just what the next play is going to be there and, and what the, the damage is going to be to these programs. I I, I don't like the vacating of wins and championships, but if the players were illegally recruited and they were playing in that game, then you got to do something. There's nothing else you, you can do. And I, I know it seems stupid, but take the championship away. <laughs> no well, one else again, gets it, but... Yeah, and people know who the best team was that year. You know, Louisville was, was the best team, and... and what, you know, is Michigan going to have its hand out for the for the championship or or what? But uh, you know, that, that's it's a banner that they're not going to be able to hang in the building at a, at a place where they do a pretty nice job of uh, celebrating those things. But Postel was right to a degree. Uh, fans will remember 
that team and their memories and the fondness of the Final Four run, et cetera. So uh, that has happened today at uh, Louisville. Look to see if there's any more ripple effects of that. And uh, it also causes an opportunity for some of these fan bases and programs to bond and to, uh, and to gel in that uh, type of environment. All right, uh, game day tomorrow. We'll be back here to preview it with you. We'll talk with uh, Robbie Hummel of ESPN. He had the uh, Carolina Louisville game on Saturday. He'll fill us in on what he sees from the heels. And then uh, game time tomorrow, 7 o'clock in the Dome. Lots to look forward to. We thank Paulie and Joe for their help. And thank you for listening today. Back tomorrow at 2. Daniel Baldwin Show is next on ESPN Radio Syracuse.